Section 9 of The Hungry Stones and Other Stories. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Uday Sagar. The Hungry Stones and Other Stories by Rabindranath Tagore. Translated by C. F. Andrews. Chapter 1 The Babus of Nayanjar. Once upon a time, the Babus of Nayanjar were famous landholders. They were noted for their princely extravagance. They would tear off the rough border of the Dakka muslin because it rubbed against their skin. They could spend many thousands of rupees over the wedding of a kitten. On a certain grand occasion, it is alleged that, in order to turn night into day, they lighted numberless lamps and showered silver threads from the sky to imitate sunlight. Those were the days before the flood. The flood came. The line of succession among these old-world baboos with their lordly habits could not continue for long. Like a lamp with too many wicks burning, the oil flayed away quickly and the light went out. Kailas Babu, a neighbor, is the last relic of this extant magnificence. Before he grew up, his family had very nearly reached its lowest ebb. When his father died, there was one dazzling outburst of funeral extravagance and then insolvency the property was sold to liquidate the debt what little ready money was left over was altogether insufficient to keep up the past ancestral splendours kailas babu left nayanjar and came to calcutta his son did not remain long in this world of faded glory he died leaving behind him an only daughter in calcutta we are kailas babu's neighbors curiously enough our own family history is just the opposite to his my father got his money by his own exertions and prided himself on never spending a penny more than was needed his clothes were those of a working man and his aunts also he never had any inclination to earn the title of baba by extravagant display and i myself his only son owe him gratitude for that he gave me the very best education, and I was able to make my way in the world. I am not ashamed of the fact that I am a self-made man. Crisp bank notes in my safe are dearer to me than a long pedigree in an empty family chest. I believe this was why I disliked seeing Kailas Babu drawing his heavy checks on the public credit from the bankrupt bank of his ancient Babu reputation. I used to fancy that he looked down on me because my father had earned money with his own hands i ought to have noticed that no one showed any vexation towards kailas babu except myself indeed it would have been difficult to find an old man who did less harm than he he was always ready with his kindly little acts of courtesy in times of sorrow and joy he would join in all the ceremonies and religious observances of his neighbors his familiar smile would greet young and old alike his politeness in asking details about domestic affairs was untiring the friends who met him in the street were perforce ready to be buttonholed while a long string of questions of this kind followed one another from his lips my dear friend i am delighted to see you are you quite well how is shashi and dada is he all right do you know I've only just heard that Madhu's son has caught fever. How is he? Have you heard? And Harisharan Babu, I've not seen him for a long time. I hope he's not ill. What's the matter with Rakal? And uh, how are the ladies of your family? 
Kailas Babu was spotlessly neat in his dress on all occasions. Though his supply of clothes was sorely limited, every day he used to air his shirts and vests and coats and trousers carefully and put them out in the sun, along with his bed quilt, his pillowcase, and the small carpet on which he always sat. After airing them, he would shake them and brush them and put them carefully away. His little bits of furniture made his small room decent and hinted that there was more in reserve if needed. Very often, for want of a servant, he would shut up his house for a while. Then he would iron out his shirts and linen with his own hands and do other little menial tasks. After this, he would open his door and receive his friends again. Though Kailas Babu, as I've said, had lost all his landed property, yet still some family heirlooms left. There was a silver cruet for sprinkling scented water, a filigree box for order of roses, a small gold salver, costly ancient shawl and the old-fashioned ceremonial dress and the ancestral turban. These he had rescued with the greatest difficulty from the money-lender's clutches. On every suitable occasion he would bring them out in state and thus try to save the world-famed dignity of the Babus of Nayanjaw. At heart the most modest of men, in his daily speech he regarded it as a sacred duty, owed to his rank, to give free play to his family pride. His friends would encourage this trait in his character with kindly good humor, and it gave them great amusement. The neighborhood soon learned to call him their Thakur Dada. They would flock to his house and sit with them for hours together. To prevent his incurring any expense, one or other of his friends would bring him tobacco and say, Thakur Dada, this morning some tobacco was sent to me from Gaya. Do take it and see how you like it. Thakur Dada would take it and say it was excellent. He would then go on to tell of a certain exquisite tobacco which they once smoked in the old days of Nyanjaw at the cost of a guinea an ounce. I wonder, he used to say, if anyone would like to try it now. I have some left and can get it at once. Everyone knew that if they asked for it, then somehow or other the key of the cupboard would be missing or else Ganesh, his old family servant, had put it away somewhere. You can never be sure, he would add, where things go to when servants are about. Now, this Ganesh of mine, I can't tell you what a fool he is, but I haven't the heart to dismiss him. Ganesh, for the credit of the family, was quite ready to bear all the blame without a word. One of the company usually said at this point, Never mind, Thakur Dada, please don't trouble to look for it. This tobacco we are smoking will do quite well. The other would be too strong. Then Thakur Dada would be relieved and settle down again, and the talk would go on. When his guests got up to go away, Thakur Dada would accompany them to the door and say to them on the doorstep, Oh, by the way, when are you all coming to dine with me? One or other of us would answer, Not just yet, Thakur Dada, not just yet, we'll fix a day later. Quite right, he would answer, quite right. We had much better wait till the rains come. It's too hot now, and a grand rich dinner such as I should want to give you would upset us in weather like this. But when the rains did come, everyone was very careful not to remind him of his promise. If the subject was brought up, some friend would suggest gently that it was very inconvenient to get about when the rains were so severe, and therefore it would be much better to wait till they were over, thus the game went on.
Thakur Dada's poor lodging was much too small for his position, and we used to condole with him about it. His friends would assure him they quite understood his difficulties. It was next to impossible to get a decent house in Calcutta. Indeed, they had all been looking out for years for a house to suit him, but I need hardly add, no friend had been foolish enough to find one. Thakur Dada used to say with a sigh of resignation, Well, well, I suppose I shall have to put up with this house after all. Then he would add with a genial smile, But you know, I could never bear to be away from my friends. I must be near you. That really compensates for everything. Somehow I felt all this very deeply indeed. I suppose the real reason was that when a man is young, stupidity appears to him the worst of crimes. Kailos Babu was not really stupid. In ordinary business matters, everyone was ready to consult him. But with regard to Nayanjaw, his utterances were certainly void of common sense. Because, out of amused affection for him, no one contradicted his impossible statements. He refused to keep them in bounds. When people recounted in his hearing the glorious history of Nayanjaw with absurd exaggerations, he would accept all they said with the utmost gravity, and never doubted, even in his dreams, that anyone could disbelieve it. Chapter 2 When I sit down and try to analyze the thoughts and feelings that I had towards Kailas Babu, I see that there was a still deeper reason for my dislike. I will now explain. Though I am the son of a rich man and might have wasted time at college, my industry was such that I took M.A. degree in Calcutta University when quite young. My moral character was flawless. In addition, my outward appearance was so handsome that, if I were to call myself beautiful, it might be thought a mark of self-estimation, but could not be considered an untruth. There could be no question that among the young men of Bengal, I was regarded by parents generally as a very eligible match. I was myself quite clear on the point and had determined to obtain full value in the marriage market. When I pictured my choice, it had before my mind's eye a wealthy family's only daughter, extremely beautiful and highly educated. Proposals came pouring into me from far and near. Large sums in cash were offered. I weighed these offers with rigid impartiality in the delicate scales of my own estimation. But there was no one fit to be my partner. I became convinced with the poet Babavuti that, in this world's endless time and boundless space, one may be born at last to match my sovereign grace. But in this puny modern age and this contracted space of modern Bengal, it was doubtful if the peerless creature existed as yet. Meanwhile, my praises were sung in many tunes and in different meters by designing parents. Whether I was pleased with the daughters or not, this worship which they offered was never unpleasing. I used to regard it as my proper due, because I was so good. We are told that when the gods withhold their boons from mortals, they still expect their worshippers to pay them fervent honor, and are angry if it is withheld. I had the divine expectance strongly developed in myself. I have already mentioned that Thakur Dada had an only granddaughter, I had seen her many times, but had never mistaken her for beautiful. No thought had ever entered my mind that she would be a possible partner for myself. All the same, it seemed quite certain to me that some day or other Kailas Babu would offer her with all due worship as an oblation to my shrine, 
Indeed, this was the secret of my dislike. I was thoroughly annoyed that he had not done it already. I heard he had told his friends that the Babus of Nanja never craved a boon. Even if the girl remained unmarried, he would not break the family tradition. It was this arrogance of his that made me angry. My indignation smouldered for some time. But I remained perfectly silent and bore it with the utmost patience because I was so good. As lightning accompanies thunder, so in my character a flash of humour was mingled with the mutterings of my wrath. It was, of course, impossible for me to punish the old man, merely to give vent to my rage, and for a long time I did nothing at all. But suddenly, one day, such an amusing plan came into my head that I could not resist the temptation of carrying it into effect. I have already said that many of Kailas Babu's friends used to flatter the old man's vanity to the full. One, who was a retired government servant, had told him that whenever he saw the Chota Lord Sahib, he always asked for the latest news about the Babus of Nanja, and the Chota Lord had been heard to say that in all Bengal the only really respectable families were those of the Maharaja of Badwan and the Babus of Nanja. When this monstrous falsehood was told to Kailas Babu, he was extremely gratified and often repeated the story and wherever after that he met this convent servant in company he would ask along with other questions oh by the way how is the chota lord sahib quite well did you say ah yes i am so delighted to hear it and the dear mem sahib is she quite well too ah yes and the little children are they quite well also ah yes that's very good news be sure and give them my compliments when you see them. Kailas Babu would constantly express his intention of going some day and paying a visit to the Sahib. But it may be taken for granted that many Chota lords and Burra lords also would come and go, and much water would pass down the Hooghly before the family coach of Nayanja would be furnished up to pay a visit to government house. One day I took Kailas Babu aside and told him in a whisper, Thakur Dada, I was at the levee yesterday, and the Chota Lord happened to mention the Babus of Nanja. I told him that Kailas Babu had come to town. Do you know he was terribly hurt because you hadn't called? He told me he was going to put etiquette on one side and pay you a private visit himself this very afternoon. Anybody else could have seen through this plot of mine in a moment, and if it had been directed against another person, Kailas Babu would have understood the joke. But after all, he had heard from his friend, the government servant, and after all his own exaggerations, a visit from the lieutenant governor seemed the most natural thing in the world. He became highly nervous and excited at my news. Each detail of the coming visit exercised him greatly, most of all his own ignorance of english how on earth was that difficulty to be met i told him there was no difficulty at all it was aristocratic not to know english and besides the lieutenant governor always brought an interpreter with him and you had expressly mentioned that this visit was to be private about midday when most of our neighbours are at work and the rest are asleep, a carriage and pair stopped before the lodging of Kailas Babu. Two flunkies in livery came up the stairs. 
and announced in a loud voice, The Chota Lord Sahib has arrived. Kailas Babu was ready, waiting for him, in his old-fashioned ceremonial robes and ancestral turban, and Ganesh was by his side, dressed in his master's best suit of clothes for the occasion. When the Chota Lord Sahib was announced, Kailas Babu ran panting and puffing and trembling to the door and led in a friend of mine in disguise with repeated salams, bowing low at each step and walking backward as best he could. He had his old family shawl spread over a hard wooden chair and he asked the Lord Sahib to be seated. He then made a high-flown speech in Urdu, the ancient court language of the Sahibs, and presented on a gold salver a string of gold mahurs, the last relics of his broken fortune. The old family servant Ganesh, with an expression of awe bordering on terror, stood behind with a scent sprinkler, drenching the Lord Sahib, touching him gingerly from time to time with the order of roses from the filigree box. Kailas Babu repeatedly expressed his regret at not being able to receive his honor Bahadur with all the ancestral magnificence of his own family estate at Nayanjar. There he could have welcomed him properly with due ceremonial, but in Calcutta he was a mere stranger and sojourner, in fact a fish out of water. My friend, with his tall silk hat on, very gravely nodded. I need hardly say that according to English custom the hat ought to have been removed inside the room, but my friend did not dare to take it off for fear of detection and Kailas Babu and his old servant Ganesh were sublimely unconscious of the breach of etiquette. After a ten minutes' interview, which consisted chiefly of nodding the head, my friend rose to his feet to depart. The two flunkies in livery, as had been planned beforehand, carried off in state the string of gold mohurs, the gold salver, the old ancestral shawl, the silver scent sprinkler, and the order of roses filigree box, they placed them ceremoniously in the carriage. Kailas Babu regarded this as the usual habit of Chota Lord Sahibs. I was watching all the while from the next room. My sides were aching with suppressed laughter. When I could hold myself in no longer, I rushed into a further room, suddenly to discover in a corner a young girl sobbing as if her heart would break. When she saw my uproarious laughter, she stood upright in passion flashing the lightning of her big dark eyes in mine and said with a tear-choked voice tell me what harm has my grandfather done to you why have you come to deceive him why have you come here why she could say no more she covered her face with her hands and broke into sobs my laughter vanished in a moment it had never occurred to me that there was anything but a supremely funny joke in this act of mine and here I discovered that I had given the cruelest pain to this tenderest little heart. All the ugliness of my cruelty rose up to condemn me. I slunk out of the room in silence, like a kicked dog. Hitherto I had only looked upon Kusum, the granddaughter of Kailas Babu, as a somewhat worthless commodity in the marriage market, waiting in vain to attract a husband. But now I found, with a shock of surprise, that in the corner of that room a human heart was beating. The whole night through I had very little sleep. My mind was in a tumult, and the next day, very early in the morning, 
I took all those stolen goods back to Kailas Babu lodgings, wishing to hand them over in secret to the servant Ganesh. I waited outside the door, and not finding anyone, went upstairs to Kailas Babu's room. I heard from the passage Kusum asking her grandfather in the most whining voice, Dada, dearest, do tell me all that the Choda Lord Sahib said to you yesterday. Don't leave out a single word. I'm dying to hear it all over again. And Dada needed no encouragement. His face beamed over with pride as he related all manner of praises which the Lord Sahib had been good enough to utter concerning the ancient families of Nayanjar. The girl was seated before him, looking up into his face and listening with rapt attention. She was determined out of love for the old man to play her part to the full. My heart was deeply touched, and tears came to my eyes. I stood there in silence in the passage, while Thakur Dada finished all the embellishments of the Chota Lord Sahib's wonderful visit. When he left the room at last, I took the stolen goods and laid them at the feet of the girl, and came away without a word. Later in the day, I called again to see Kailas Babu himself. According to our ugly modern custom, I had been in the habit of making no greeting at all to this old man when I came into the room. But on this day, I made a low bow and touched his feet. I am convinced the old man thought that the coming of the Chota Lord Sahib to his house was the cause of my new politeness. He was highly gratified by it, and an air of benign severity shone from his eyes. His friends had flogged in, and he had already begun to tell again at full length the story of the lieutenant governor's visit, with still further adornments of a most fantastic kind. The interview was already becoming an epic, both in quality and in length. When the other visitors had taken their leave, I made my proposal to the old man in a humble manner, I told him that, though I could never, for a moment, hope to be worthy of marriage connection with such an illustrious family, yet, etc., etc., when I made clear my proposal of marriage, the old man embraced me and broke out in a tumult of joy. I am a poor man and could never have expected such great good fortune. That was the first and last time in his life that Kailas Babu confessed to being poor. It was also the first and last time in his life that he forgot, if only for a single moment, the ancestral dignity that belongs to the Babus of Nayanjar. End of section 9 Recording by Uday Sagar